Go with me this morning to the book of John chapter 10. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Somebody say, I have a shepherd. Somebody say, bah, you are a sheep. (laughs) I am a sheep. A lot of times people ask the question, what animal best represents your personality? I don't have an animal that represents me. I am an animal. I am a sheep. That's, that's who I am. That's who you are. That's what we are. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd. And there's been something that Sarah and I have been saying just in the last several weeks to each other in our home. We're, we're getting ready to send this out to the partners of our ministry, something that we want them to be saying. And it just has become so real to us. And we're saying this over and over. We're saying, Jesus is my good shepherd. Can you try that? Jesus is my good shepherd. We say this, he speaks to me and I know his voice. Say that. He speaks to me and I know his voice. He calls me by name and he leads me out. Try that. He calls me by name and he leads me out. I want to center in on this this morning. He leads me out. This has been my confession for the last several weeks especially. He leads me out. He's your good shepherd. He speaks to you and you know his voice. Don't ever again for the rest of your life say that you can't hear God speak. You open up his word, you read it, ta-da, he's speaking to you. But not only that, he's given you his Holy Spirit to speak to you on the inside, to show you, Jesus said, things to come, to guide you into all the truth. This word guide, I think that's here in the book of John where Jesus said that. But that word guide, it literally translates to a tour guide. To a tour guide. You and I go stand in lines in these places around our country and other places in the world to look at, look at monuments, look at museums, look at things that have been there a long time, right? And you go stand in line and there's some guy that's lived in this place for the last 35 years and he's given this tour every day for decades. He knows it backwards, he knows it forwards, he knows the ins and the outs and where to go and where not to go. He's been there and he's done that. He is a tour guide. That's what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be in you. Because where you're going and where I'm going, check this out, he's already been there. Scripture tells us that he inhabits eternity. He's in tomorrow right now. Wrap your brain around that. He's in tomorrow right now. And he's your guide. He's your tour guide. He knows where to go. He knows where not to go. He can help you avoid all the pitfalls. He can help you avoid anything, any traps that have been set. He's your guide. He's been there. He's been back thousands and thousands of times. Don't ever again say, I don't hear him speak. Because you can, and he is speaking to you. I have a good shepherd. Jesus is my good shepherd. He speaks to me, and I know his voice. I know his voice. Me and Jesus have that, hey, it's me relationship. 
You know what I'm talking about? Do you have a hey, it's me relationship with anybody? The hey, it's me relationship is the one where somebody can call you. And of course, in the days before caller ID, all you knew was the phone was ringing. And you didn't know who was on the other end. See, a lot more calls go to voicemail these days just because of caller ID. But in the old days, it just rang. You didn't know who it might be. And everybody would look at each other like, who is it? I don't know. Who, should we answer? Yeah, let's answer it. And it was this great adventure in answering the phone. And you pick up the phone, and if you don't know who's on the other line, you say hello, and they say, hey, it's me. Have you ever had somebody say, hey, it's me, and you didn't know who me was? What is it in us that tries to, like, keep the thing going until you can figure it out? What is it in us that won't just say, sorry, who? You know what I'm talking about? We do this now with text messages. When somebody texts you and you're supposed to have that number, but you don't have that number, and they're talking to you. It was the same thing, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago on the phone. Hey, it's me. Hey, you. How are you doing Right? You try to keep this thing going until there's some clue, until there's some hint, and you can pick up, and it's like that moment you realize who it is. But there are other people, right, who you have the hey, it's me relationship with. They call, you say hello, they say, hey, it's me, and right away, there's no guessing, you don't wonder who it is, you know who it is. Sarah and I have a hey, it's me relationship. This is my wife. We've been married for seven years. Seven years. <laughs> this month we celebrated seven years. And so we have the hey, it's me thing. Sarah doesn't call me and I say hello and she says, hey, it's me. And I'm like, ah, sorry, it sounds familiar. But she's not like, Jeremy, this is Sarah, your wife. We've been married seven years. We've got two kids together. We're in full-time ministry. Oh, yeah, you, hey, how you doing? None of that. She doesn't rehearse our history every time we talk. I don't have to reintroduce myself to her. Why? I know that voice. And it's not just the voice, but it's everything the voice means to me. It's everything behind the voice. It's our history. It's our life. It's our love. It's our family. It's our ministry. It's every moment that we spent together for the last seven years. All of that in Hey, It's Me. You can have a Hey, It's Me with Jesus. He longs to have that with you. When it's just the sound of his voice, you don't wonder, is that God? Is it me? Is it, is it the pizza I had at midnight? What, what's, is this weird? I don't know. No, no, no. A recognition of who he is. Why? Because of the time that you have together. He is your good shepherd. He's speaking to you and you can know his voice. Is that reassuring to anybody else? Is that comforting to anybody else to know that you can hear his voice? But this isn't where he stops. He says this. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. What is that? That's intimacy. He calls you by name. That's intimacy. That is not you and I just being another nameless face in a crowd. Jesus has never looked at you and gone, uh, wait, don't tell me, don't tell me, uh, 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 Swanson, Swinson, Slappy. Uh, I knew it started with an S. No, it, he knows you by name. You got it, right? He knows you by name. Intimacy. 
He says, I know my sheep by name, and here's the big thing. This is what we're going to center in on today. He leads them out. He's leading you out. From the moment you got born again, he began leading you out. Out of what? The Bible says you and I have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness. He has led us out of, when we were born again, He led us out of sin. He led us out of darkness. He led us out of unrighteousness. He led you out of all of that. But here's the thing about our Good Shepherd. He never leads you out of something without leading you into something else. It's not all the stuff you've been saved from. It's all the stuff you've been saved to. He led you out of darkness, but what? Into light. He led you out of sin and into His righteousness, His holiness. The Bible says that you and I were made to... He was made to be sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Out of one thing and into another. You've got a good shepherd. He's Jesus. He speaks to you. You know His voice. He calls you by name and He leads you out. He's leading you out. He's led you out of sin into righteousness, led you out of darkness into light, led you out of sickness into the healing of your body. If he's led you out of all of that stuff, what else do you think he can lead you out of? Whatever junk you are in the middle of right now, he'll lead you out. He will lead you out. I wonder if that would include being led out of debt. Would it? Absolutely. Would it, be, would it include being led out of depression? Absolutely. But it doesn't just include all those things. There's something that's stirring in me, and this is where I believe it connects back to what the Lord's already had us talking about in the first service today. And really, just kind of give you a window into where Sarah and I are right now in our lives, in our ministry, uh, with our staff, and the things that are just ahead of us. There's, it's not just a, a leading out um, of, of bad into good. There, there's, there's also a leading out of good into better. There's a leading out of better into best. And in, in this leading out, I want to talk to you this morning about, about the sense of risk that just sort of seems to go along with this. Where we are in our ministry right now, I, we, we've gotten a taste of this in the last several years. Um, I grew up in a ministry family. Uh, my grandparents have been in ministry for the better part of 50 years. My parents have been in full-time ministry my entire life. Grew up in ministry family. Uh, I, I like to say I grew up in the household of faith. Some of you may be familiar with my grandparents, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. These are people who've been preaching the word of faith around the world, like I said, for almost 50 years. And I know what it's like to grow up in that house. And I realized early on that things were different in that house than they were in a lot of other houses. And even I went to a Christian school. Um, our little boy is getting ready to start preschool in the school that I went to, kindergarten through graduation. And it's a little Christian school just down the road from where we live. 
And uh, I, I remember going to my little kindergarten, uh, the little application process. My mom walked me into school, and you fill out the little application for kindergarten. And the headmaster was there. This was before school started. Uh, Byron McKissick was this man's name. And he was sitting there filling out the paperwork and uh, child's name, parent's name. Uh, and then he got to grandparent's name, and my mom said, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. This guy like looked up. I mean, you would have thought we told him, you know, the president had just walked in the room or something. But his eyes just filled up with tears. He had a Kenneth Copeland cassette tape in his pocket. He pulled it out. He said, this has changed my life. And I went to this little school for years and years and years, like all the way through elementary, all the way through high school. And even growing up in this Christian environment, around other Christian kids, I realized early on that growing up in the household of faith like we did, there were some different things about it because, you know, your friends, even in, even in this environment, they, they disappear from school, you know, for two or three days and they come back, where were you? Oh, they were sick, weren't feeling good. You think, oh, you okay now? And they say, yeah, you know, it was fine. Just kind of laid around for a few days, watched TV, mom brought me food, whatever. And I realized that's not what happens at my house. As a matter of fact, you think long and hard before you come in and say, I don't feel good. <laughs> Not that you're going to get in trouble for feeling good, but whatever it is, whatever sickness, whatever symptom you have is not going to be pet. It's not going to be coddled. It's not going to be wrapped in a warm blanket and rocked to sleep. Man, when you say you don't feel good, if you wake up mom and dad, if you have the audacity to wake up mom and dad in the middle of the night with I don't feel good, baby, those covers are coming off. Lights are coming on. Get your Bible. Get Mimi's tapes. Get Papa's books. All right, let's make some confessions. G Jeremy, come on, follow me right now. Say this. Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed me. Speak up, boy. By his stripes I'm healed. By his louder. By his stripes I'm healed. And you're making your confessions and you're pacing the floor with mom and dad. And you are not going to take this thing lying down. This is what it's like to grow up in the household of faith. And so I realized, you know, my, my life was different. We just did things differently and we went to the word for everything. And we whatever the word said, we said. And so when it came time to graduate high school, and I was trying to make this choice. Here I am coming out of one thing and into another. Is it college for me? Is it ministry for me? And I'm looking at this thing. And my grandfather, I remember riding in the car with him and asking him, what do you think? And he said, this is the, this is the advice you gave me. And to this day, it's the advice I live by. He said, Jeremy, just do what's right in front of you to do. Just do what's right in front of you. Quit sweating the future and just do what's right in front of you. And for me, college is, is probably most people's choice and it's probably a great idea for a lot of folks. It just, I just couldn't see myself there. I couldn't see myself doing that. And there have been times since then I wondered maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't have. But you know, at that time, what was right in front of me was to take this step. And I use that not as a cliche and not just as a phrase, but we walk by faith. Do you know how you walk by faith? The same way you walk in the natural, the same way you walked in here. You took a step. You know what you did after that step? You took another step. And then, immediately following that one, you took another one. That's how you walk. 
And no matter what super what kind of super Christian you think you are, you can only ever take one step at a time. And every single one of them are intended to be a step of faith. A step of faith. And you've got to maybe renew your mind a little bit to what walking by faith and living by faith really means. So many people think that faith has to do with the unknown. And it's not about the unknown. It's simply about the unseen. Faith is not about the unknown. It's about the known. You know that God is. You know that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's not about the unknown. It's just about the unseen. And that's where so many people get hung up. They're wanting to see something. That's why in the first service we looked at the book of Psalms chapter 27. Where he said, I would have lost heart. I would have fainted if I hadn't believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He's saying, I would have quit. But believing to see it. Not seeing it, but believing to see it. Believing until I see it. That's what sustained him in his walk of faith. So anyway, getting ready to take this step out of high school. And where the Lord, I believe, was leading me was this step into ministry. So I went to work for mom and dad full time. I think I started, started even before graduation. Tenth grade, I was back in the tape room. I'm looking around, some may not be familiar with tapes, but it was back in the tape room making duplicates of all the sermons, you know, and run them off those machines, and that's where I started. And then uh, I think after high school, I went to work for the youth pastor in our church, and I was a part of the praise and worship team and helping the praise and worship leader in the church, and I just sort of turned it into KCU, Kenneth Copeland University, you know, and I just made this my education. And it, and it went from one thing to another. Everything was one step, then another step, then another step. And I look back on it now, and it was my good shepherd leading me out of one thing and into another. But it's the same way that he led you out of darkness and into light. It's the same way that he leads you in the steps of what he's called you to do. And then when... Um, my parents asked me to be the youth pastor of the church. I stepped into that. I did, did that for four years until I met Sarah. And that's a whole other story. It was six months from the time we met to the time we were married. That was an adventure. <laughs> that was a whirlwind. But it was so right. So many people think, you know, you, you, you date somebody to, to find out if it's right. This was the first time in my life I started dating someone because I knew it was right. It's a long story, but we both knew we were going to marry each other before we had met each other. Save that for another time. But it's a really cool story. So all of this is just a step. It's an adventure. It's, a, it's things that feel like a risk. I mean, I try to put myself in her position where she didn't even live. We didn't even live in the same state until we came home from our honeymoon. So this girl, I mean, she's leaving all. She's leaving family. She's leaving church. She's leaving everything she's known. She's coming out of one thing and into another. And I'm so glad she did. 
my good shepherd led me out of single life into married life. See, all of this is one step right after another. And then she and I were youth pastors together for the next couple of years. And then we stepped out of that into a full-time traveling ministry representing Kenneth Copeland Ministries. We did that for a year. But let me tell you about a night that lives in infamy in our marriage. It was the night before Thanksgiving 2009. And we were on staff at my grandparents' ministry, and we were laying in bed. It was dark, and both of us just laying there on our back looking straight up at the, into the black, you know. And it was one of those moments where God was speaking to us through each other. Husbands, wives, have you ever experienced that before? Husbands, have you ever heard God speak to you through your wife? Wives, have you ever heard God speak to you through your husband? That's what was happening. And for the first time in our lives, we began dreaming about something. And vision went off on the inside of us. And we thought, is this really possible? Is this really doable? You know, I'd always seen myself, again, growing up in this household of faith, I'd always seen myself here. I'm going to have a place here. And mom and dad have worked here, and I'm going to work here, and we're going to work here, and we're going to live here, and this is how we're going to do things. But for the first time, we started dreaming about something else, and we knew the Lord was in it. We didn't make any moves right then. We waited months and months and months on that. But then there came a time when we sat down with my grandparents, and we said, we believe He's leading us out. And we talked to them about changing the dynamic of our relationship with them and going from their employees to their partners. And we wanted to be a ministry that partnered alongside theirs. And they said, this is good. This is God. And they launched us out. Jesus led us out. Just sitting here while Sarah was ministering and I was flipping through the pages of my Bible and looking where Jesus got into the boat with those disciples and they had fished all night and caught nothing completely unproductive. And he got in the boat, and you know what he said? Launch out. Launch out. And not just out, but out into the deep. Get out there where it's deep. These guys are looking at him going, we just came back from there and caught nothing. But he said, yeah, but this time I'm in the boat. And they went out. And you know the story. You know what happened. But that's what I felt like we were doing at that time in our lives. We were launching out into the deep. I mean, check this out. She was pregnant with justice. How much sense does that make? Have a baby, quit your job. Right? That's the reason a lot of your family and even ours and different ones look at us like, Really? That's what you're going to do right now? Right now you're going to do that? Yeah. Right now. And Justice was born in May of 2010, and we started Pearson's Ministries International in September of 2010. And I have to tell you that what felt like such a huge risk, in the moment it almost didn't. Looking back on it, we can see the risk involved, but in the moment it was like, this is the next step. And there's plenty of opportunity between the time you make your decision and the time you walk it out to try to talk yourself out of that. But looking back on it and 
what either looked like a risk or felt like a risk, I can tell you today, from that time, leaving a very stable job, a good paying job, one that we probably could have had for a very long time, leaving all that, we have not even one day gone backwards in anything. Nothing. So what feels like a risk to you, you need to know that if it's direction from the Lord, there's really no risk in it. When you start to see it from His perspective, He's leading you out. But again, He never leads you out of something without leading you into something else. Somebody help me. Where's our good shepherd? Where does He lead His sheep? He leads us to green pastures. You know what green pastures are to a sheep? A sheep comes out of a sheepfold with a shepherd who's called them by name. And they follow that shepherd down whatever winding path. And maybe it's before dawn and it's dark still and it's up hills and down hills and around corners and through woods. But the moment they step in to the opening of that green pasture, and I can just see it, like the sun coming up over that hill, lighting up those green pastures. You know what a sheep says to that? I can eat all day. That's what green pastures is. It's provision. It's you eating all day. Not just green pastures, but besides still waters. That's peace. That's quiet. You can have that in you when the opposite of it is going on around you. And see, it's, it's what's going on around you that makes it feel like a risk. But if we could ever learn to shut that down and get in here, all the risk will be sucked out of it and it'll just feel like the greatest adventure you've ever been on in your life. That's what the life of faith is. It's the greatest adventure you've ever been on. I have a good shepherd. He speaks to me and I know his voice. He calls me by name and he leads me out. And for the last four years, Sarah and I have been, we've been traveling. We're doing a lot like what we're doing right now. And things have, vision has come, pieces of vision at different times. And we get excited about things and we go and we check something out. And we look at it and we get excited about it and think maybe, maybe this is it. But it, it, it's almost like we feel we have felt like that next step was coming. And if you can imagine yourself getting ready to take a step, but standing like this for four years. What would it be like to stand like this for four years? Your leg would probably get tired, right? And in some ways we felt like we've been standing like that. There's more to this story, and I want to get into it in just a second, but I want to give you a picture of what I'm talking about. Go to the Old Testament with me, to the book of Exodus. And just look there towards the beginning. Look at the third chapter. This is the account of God speaking to Moses and telling him he's got an assignment for him. And, of course, you know the story about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. But in this, Mo Moses is just a type of Jesus. He's a picture of the Savior that was coming. And, coming. and God speaks to him in chapter 3. In verse 7, the Lord said, 
I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and heard, I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. All that to say what? I'm leading them out of one thing and into something else. So this is good news, right? He says in verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I want you to watch how many times you hear God say this over and over. I'm bringing them out. I'm bringing them out. I'm bringing them out. From, from all the way back then, he's had one thing on his mind for his people. I'm bringing them out. I'm bringing them out. For them, it was out of Egypt. For them, it was out of bondage. For you and I, it could be the same thing. Whatever thing is bondage, whatever thing has held you back, has held you down, has held you in, this is the word of the Lord to you today. He is bringing you out. He's had the same thing on his mind for his people forever. He's bringing you out. Now, now skip ahead to chapter, well, let's just look further in chapter 3. In verse 16, God speaks to Moses again and says, Go gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God, your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites. And it goes on and says all the same things he's just said to Moses a few verses before. Now look at chapter 6. Well, excuse me, go to chapter 4. Moses had gone to the people. Verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And they did the signs in the sight of the people. Verse 31, listen to this. So the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshipped. This was good news to them. This was good news. They've been in bondage for at least a generation. They've been in slavery. And God sends this messenger and he says, I've got a word from God and it's for you. He's bringing you out. And they got excited. They worshipped. They thought, this is awesome. But can I tell you what else they thought? They thought it was tomorrow. Like, we better go pack. This is, we're, we're leaving tomorrow. But you know the rest of the story. Is that what happened? No, Moses went to Pharaoh in the next chapter and he said, let's people go. And I think Moses had it in his head that Pharaoh was going to be like, oh, okay. But is that what happened? No. As a matter of fact, look at what Pharaoh said in verse 5 of chapter 5. Look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. What a picture of Jesus Moses is right here. Pharaoh, the one who was angry at him, even was able to recognize what was going on. You're making them cease from their labor, rest from their labor. That's what Jesus is doing for us. But your enemy doesn't like it. The thing that's held you in bondage doesn't like it. So he sent them all back to work and doubled their work and so on. And that confused the people. It confused Moses. Chapter 6, Moses went back to God and said, Why have you done this to me? And God said to him in verse 6, what do you suppose he said? 
Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out. He's saying it over and over and over. He's got one thing on his mind. It's you getting out. It's these people getting out. It's the same word that he's already given them. Verse 8, I'll bring you into the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to you as, an, as a heritage. Uh, that could also say inheritance. I am the Lord. Now notice this though in verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. He said the same thing to them that he had said once before. But this time, notice, they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. See, they had heard this once before, and when it didn't work, it crushed them on the inside. You've been there, and I've been there. And you had a certain expectation. I heard a man say it like this one time. He said, up here is your expectation, and when what happens, when reality comes and it's down here, it's that space between that tries to breed frustration. It's the space between expectation and reality that's trying to breed frustration in you. Frustrated about where you're going. Frustrated about your life. What am I doing here? What, why am I even here? You had this expectation. Maybe you even got a word from God about your life, about your call. Maybe it goes back to the time you were a young child and the Lord said this to you or said that to you through somebody else. And here you are and it feels like it's decades later and nothing's happened. What? That's expectation and reality. And if you're not watchful, it's that space between that's going to try to breed frustration. And these people did not listen to the word of the Lord that said, I'm bringing you out. They couldn't hear it. They wouldn't hear it because of the anguish of their spirit. This is an inward condition. This is what we call a soul sickness. It's an inability to hear from God because you're being crushed by what's going on around you. More aware of what's against you than you are what's for you. He said they wouldn't heed the word of Moses because of the anguish of their spirit and cruel bondage. The Amplified Bible adds this. It was their impatience. When this thing didn't happen, when they thought it was going to happen, the way they thought it was going to happen, it frustrated them, it depressed them, and they wouldn't hear this good news. This is a word from God. I'm bringing you out. I'm bringing you out. And this is God speaking the same thing to you today. I'm bringing you out. Now you get to decide how this hits you. And for some, this will hit and they'll say, yes, he's bringing me out. That's my word. That's what I came for. And somebody else sitting in the same service, singing the same songs, hearing the same word from the same scriptures, leaves going, yeah, I heard that before. But because of the anguish of your spirit and impatience, impatience. If you look at these people, these children of Israel coming out of Egypt, you can see they had a real problem with this. And it really didn't get better after they got out of Egypt. A few chapters later, they've been delivered 
And Moses goes up Mount Sinai and all the people are down there. And this is, I think it's chapter 32, and this is literally what it says in the first verse. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming back, they said to Aaron, make us a god that we may worship. So Aaron took all their gold and made that golden image, right? In the very same chapter, just a few verses later, God speaking to Moses says, look at how quickly... The people have turned. So see, to them, it was a delay. To God, this was quick. Can you see what I'm saying here? You and I have got to reset our clocks. Sarah and I travel all the time. We travel in and out of different time zones all the time. Just a few weeks ago, we got back from India, Hyderabad, India, which is... Ten and a half hours ahead of where we live in Fort Worth. Do you know what? I didn't show up in India with a refusal to adjust my clock. This is my... I live on central time zone in the United States. And if that's where I live, that's the way I'm going to live and operate. I'm not changing anything. I'd have missed every service. I would have showed up at service and nobody would have been there. They would have been asleep. I would have been awake. When you come into a new place, set your clock. According to what's there. You guys are an hour ahead of we are, where we are in Fort Worth. First thing I do when I get on the ground. I actually do it in the airplane before I land. It's just a weird habit. But I do it so that while I'm still going. And it's a little change between Texas and North Carolina, it's a huge change between Texas and India. Or next month, I'm going to South Africa. Big change. So as soon as I get on the airplane, I reset my clock so that the whole time I'm going there, I'm looking at what time it is there. How long you been living in the kingdom of God? Trying to live in this old timing, this old clock, this old time zone, where if I don't see it now, I quit. We got to adjust. We have got to adjust our clocks and get onto his timing, get into his time zone and his way of thinking. And things that seem like they're taking a long time, you got to realize, you know what? In the eyes of God, this thing is still, it's just happening. It's quick. It's quick. My life is but a vapor. And if it took the next five years, in the eyes of God, that's like 30 seconds. I can hang on. I'm going to be okay. See, this whole thing was about inheritance. This whole thing was about land and where God had promised. But see, they almost lost all of it. Why? Because they wouldn't receive the word because of their impatience. They thought something that was taking a long time, in the eyes of God, it was quick. The whole thing was about leading them out, out of bondage into freedom, out of Egypt into Canaan, out of into, out of into. And I wonder how long they just felt like that, that foot was just up in the air, ready to plant somewhere. It was that stubbornness that left them in the desert for decades, generations. It was that inability to change the clock, to change your mind, to renew your mind to another way of thinking. So when I look back on our lives and where we are right now, you know, and seeing things over the last four years, it's like that 
It's like that leg, that foot has just been coming up in the air. And at the beginning of this year, we got a word from the Lord in prayer, making our plans for 2014. And when we were traveling and the invitations we would accept, and the Lord spoke to us about when to cut off our invitations because He said, and this was really unique, I'd never heard it before in my life, not just like this, He said, something's coming in August. Man, that was specific. This is specific. I'm leading you out. You're leaving Egypt. You're going to the land of the Hizzites, the Perizzites, the whateverites. You know, and this is a specific place. Something's coming in August. And our whole staff, for months, we would look at each other and say, something's coming. August is coming. August is coming. And then August came. And like a bomb, vision went off on the inside of us. And we saw something that we weren't expecting to see. We weren't looking for it. And right now, we're kind of, I can't get into a lot of details because it's all still coming together. But it has gone off in a way in us like, we never have, like it never has before and that foot that's been in the air for four years is getting ready to slam down into this next step of faith he's called us into. It's an adventure. In many ways, it feels like a risk. In many ways, it, it, we're, we're looking at each other going, seriously, really? Is this what we're really about to do? Because we, we feel like we hadn't even looked at this yet, but we saw it through his eyes, and we got what the Scripture calls spiritual understanding. Book of Colossians calls it spiritual understanding. He says, I pray that you would increase in wisdom and spiritual understanding. Can I tell you about the big, fat difference between natural understanding and spiritual understanding? Natural understanding, you look in at something, you making choices. Natural understanding of have a baby, quit your job is that stupid. But we didn't understand that naturally. We did understand it spiritually. And there was something inside us going, this is it, this is it, this is right, let's do this. I can't explain it. How are you going to get paid? Uh, I do not know. But somehow, we lived without a single paycheck for eight months and never went backwards. Never for a moment. Felt not even an instant, not even a second of financial pressure because we understood something spiritually. And this step that we're about to take, whatever step that you know is right in front of you, I hope you can hear Kenneth Copeland's words the same way I did. Do what's right in front of you to do. And then shared with the last service just a few days ago, before we came, we gathered as a staff in our home, which is also our office, <laughs> and we sat there and we had invited two of our friends, a couple that's a missionary couple to Kenya, who just a couple of years ago launched out into the deep. You and I think moving across the states, launching into the deep. They moved into Kenya, Africa. The one you've heard about, the one you've read about, Africa. And they went into the deep. And we brought them in and said, just talk to us about this. Just talk to us about adventure living like this and he said he said he the lord spoke to him some time ago and told him i want you to be a 51 percent person i didn't know what that meant and he explained it he said 
That means when the moment a majority of me believes that I've heard from God, I'm going for it. Yeah, there's going to be all these other questions. There's going to be blanks to fill in. There's going to be things that try to cast doubt on it. But that, that, that second that I'm over the edge, even just a little bit, and I, and I believe I'm getting something from God, I'm going for it. What's in front of you is something you've never done before. Something you've never experienced before. But He's offering you today the courage and the bravery that it takes to step out into this thing and to give everything you've got for it. And if you can't wrap your head around giving everything you've got, it's because you didn't realize He's the one that gave it to you to begin with. And He can fill it all back up again. Anybody here have kids? My kids are the best Bible teachers I've ever had. My little boy's four years old and he's been teaching me about God since the day he was born. <clears throat> My little girl, Jessie, she's just turned one. And she's teaching me right now. Can I tell you what Jessie is teaching me about the Word? We sit her down. This little girl, she's like little, little babies. She gets hungry, she cries. Right? That's what babies do. But here's what's interesting about her. You can sit her down, put her in the high chair, buckle her in, and we are creatures of habit. This girl is on a schedule. She knows she knows, she, she wakes up at the same time, almost exactly on the clock. You can set your clock by day after day. When she's going to wake up, when she's going to go to sleep, when she's going to have her bath, when it's bedtime. And you would think that as a creature of habit like this would know that when you get buckled into the high chair, food is coming. But she doesn't. She cries and continues to cry. It's like, we're coming, we're coming. And you bring the food over to the table and she sees the food and she cries louder. And you take your spoon and you dig out the food and you shove food in her mouth to shut up the crying. And she stops crying until she's done with that bite. And she starts crying again for more food. And it's like, it's right here. Can't you see I'm going to feed you? You know, you've been alive for over 365 days. And I have fed you multiple times a day, every single one of those days. You've never gone a day without eating. I fed you over and over and over. And I do it at the same time every day. And every day you get more. And you would think at some point that their little brains would kick in. And no, it's, it's going to be cool. I'm going to eat. It's going to be fine. But not yet. Not yet for her. Not only does she cry when she's hungry, she cries between bites. She will cry for food between bites of food. And you know what? That's funny. And it's cute. Because she's one. And she doesn't know what she's going to find out. <clears throat> Watch this. She's going to find out that her mama and her dada love her. And we are faithful to feed her. She's going to find out. She's going to figure it out. And one day she'll be like my son, who all he has to say is, can I have a snack? Daddy, I'm hungry. There's no crying. There's no fit. It's just asking. She hasn't figured it out yet. That's okay. It's cute. It's funny. She's one. You know what's not cute? You know what's not funny? 
is you and I and all the experience we have with God and how He brought you to where you are right now. And day after day after day, He fed you, He clothed you, He housed you, He brought you out and He brought you in. You and I have no business crying between bites. <clears throat> if we could, to cry between bites is to say you did it before, but I don't believe you can do it again. Somebody say, not me. Not me. I have a good shepherd. Jesus is my good shepherd. Why don't you say it? Jesus is my good shepherd. Say this. He speaks to me. I know his voice. He calls me by name. And he leads me out into green pastures beside quiet waters. Now, what does he do when you get there? Do you know what he does? It's in that place of provision, in that place of peace, that he goes to work on your soul. He restores your soul. And never again, if you if you'll keep that soul restored, you'll never suffer from anguish of spirit that keeps you from hearing him. He restores my soul. Amen.